Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. And it's Tuesday, so you know what that means. Another WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back to talk everything that happened this past week on SmackDown and Raw. And we have plenty to get to on today's show as we're still about three weeks out from what I personally believe is WWE's second biggest pay-per-view of the year, the Royal Rumble. And this year's Royal Rumble is really up in the air. We do not know what's going to happen on that show, which means there's going to be a lot for us to discuss on this show over the next few weeks. So before we get into everything going on, you guys know how this works. A couple reminders. Number one, give us a follow on Twitter at getting overcast. Also, do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine audio. Hit us up on there with a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this damn show. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. I mean, literally, take like 30 seconds out of your day. Go back and be marks for the getting over wrestling podcast. Not a long intro today. We are going to get right to it because we on this podcast are a couple of very tired individuals. So allow me to welcome in none other than vintage Chris Vanini, the WWE co-host of this show. We are both coming off the college football playoff national championship game last night. Very little sleep, very difficult to fit in a three hour raw You know, Chris, they say great broadcasters, you will never know if they are lacking energy, if they're tired, uh, if something's going on in their personal lives. I don't know. Maybe I'm not a great broadcaster because I am freaking exhausted this morning. And I honestly don't feel like Raw helped energize me any uh, by the time I completed that three hour show. Yeah, so that's going to be interesting because neither of us watched it live uh, as a result. You know, I fast forwarded through commercials and stuff like that. So it actually felt like a shorter show to me than normal. It did. It did. That's true. So that's it, it, I'm yeah. curious how we'll feel about it uh, because of that. And, and if that impacts how we felt about uh, the show, watching it late at night or this morning after that championship game. Whenever I do get the opportunity to watch Raw in particular, the other shows, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, two hours is a, it's an ask, but it's not a huge ask, right? right. Um, whenever I can fast forward through a raw, it really helps. And and this is even when raw is good. It just, it, it's three hours. It, it, it chocks it down to like, I don't know, like what, two fifteen or something like that. It, it just really makes it much more digestible. And this week, I would say that maybe wasn't the case. This was a difficult raw to get through. Honestly, it was a little bit of a difficult national championship to get through as well. It's not that it was a bad game. It just was over so early. And then you're sitting through the slog of, you know, basically a four hour, four and a half hour combined game time where there's really no excitement towards the end. Just just saying the name, by the way, I don't really have another outlet to discuss this, but college football playoff national championship. Right. (laughs) That's what the game's called. Then you have the Super Bowl. They can't come up with a shorter, easier to say, easier to type, a better name for headlines. They can't do anything better than college football playoff national championship? I mean, I don't know if anyone's 
saying that when they say what it is outside of the the press releases. I mean, we just that's say what it national, is, though. the national championship game, the national title game. Either way, that's even that's a lot of syllables. It was a lot it's easier crazy. to say Super Bowl or Rose Bowl or BCS or, or whatever. So uh, they yeah. probably should just call it the championship. I, do, I just got to remember. Like I just got to. I, I got to say, like the real what one of the greatest grifts I think we've ever seen was when college football paid consulting firms to come up with a name for the <laughs> playoff and they called it the college football playoff <laughs> and the logos and the logos of football. <laughs> and they definitely got paid thousands of dollars for that. Same thing happened this year, actually, when they decided to give a, a name to bowl season and the name they came up with and certainly paid people to come up with was bowl season. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, uh, these aren't exactly creative pay-per-view names. We're even losing. We're even losing all the bowl names, like some of the cool ones. Uh, I I would really have to think. Oh, here's an example, like Gator Bowl, right? That's a cool name for a bowl. Now it's the Tax Slayer Bowl. Like they just knocked off any coolness. It's just branded, yeah. right? So look, people complain about like WWE pay per view names or you know what certain things are called in wrestling and and some decisions that are made. Folks, it ain't much better in the world of college football. Let's just. Be I, I gotta say though, very for, honest. for Ohio State. Last night, I really got to say that really was the the horror show at the college football playoff national <laughs> championship game. It was now now hit me with it, Bailey. That'll be a horror show. Uh, I don't think I I think I had to delete it because uh, our so there's a there's a difficulty, and we'll get right to the show, folks, in a moment. There's a difficulty with our soundboard that I am utilizing because the type of microphone, the type of setup I have, it does not allow for a soundboard to the level of ones I was using previously. So therefore I have limited spots. And every time Samoa Joe drops a new meat reference or something else happens, something has to get jettisoned. So Bailey and the horror show will be back ahead of this year's Extreme Rules, but I'm going to have to go through some type of rotation. I could I could pay for like the premium version of this thing I'm using, but it's like I don't know. It's it's pretty expensive monthly. If there if there's a benefactor out there, as Tony Khan said, a patron of professional wrestling who wants to cover our soundboard bill, then yes, I can expand it. But other than that, uh, we're just going to have to roll with what we got. And we're going to have to roll on this show because I promised a short intro and we are now at a long intro. So strap in, unwrap those Incrustables, and let's slide into the main event. <laughs> So, Chris, since the show is already off to an interesting start, let's say, let's make this a co-host choice main event. I have two main event topics. One is positive. One is negative. And you get to decide how we start the show. We can start talking about the gauntlet match on SmackDown, or we can start by talking about Drew McIntyre, Triple H, and Randy Orton. So this is kind of like a Cyber Sunday taboo Tuesday type of situation here. It's kind of pick your own results. It is because the direction of the show could totally rest on this decision. The tone and tenor of this episode of the getting over wrestling podcast may completely depend on what decision you make right now. I'm going to say, I, I, I say we start with Drew McIntyre. He's the okay. champ. It's, it's the, it's the biggest thing. Get the uh, negative out of the way. I think, I think, I think we need to start with the champ. All right, let's just roll into this then. And we'll see if my energy picks up while I start ranting on Goldberg like it did last week. And I thank you for your uh, 
praise on social media for cursing out Goldberg. I, I did. I did appreciate that. You know, normally, uh, you know, I'm kind of a weird guy when it comes to praise. It's like, great. I'm glad you guys are enjoying the show, but like, whatever. Um, but I, I did appreciate that people enjoyed the Goldberg rant. Uh, so let's talk Drew McIntyre, the WWE champion who has tested positive for COVID-19. WWE announced McIntyre's diagnosis early on Monday, and then McIntyre cut a tape promo on Raw, giving great advice, honestly, to everyone. Wear a mask, stay socially distant. Anyone can catch COVID-19, and you never know how bad it's going to be until you are the one dealing with it. I thought that would be it for the night for McIntyre, and I actually really appreciated that WWE allowed its babyface champion to give almost a PSA for, you know, being COVID careful and, and, be, and trying to prevent the spread of disease. Like, I, I, I don't know the last time WWE's actually done something like that on its own television show. I'm sure they've done stuff on social media before, but not like that. So I was appreciative that he got to do that. And if that's all we saw from McIntyre, I would have been really happy. But McIntyre came back and he kind of put over Goldberg as a legend, but said he tarnished his legacy by putting words in the champion's mouth. And I kind of liked that McIntyre called out the entire storyline as ridiculous. He basically just said, you had no reason to call me out. What are we doing here? You're old. I'm going to kick the shit out of you. Like, this doesn't make any sense. So up until that, I'm like, okay, you know what, Drew? You're kind of getting me here. But then he explains, because Goldberg pushed him, now he's going to put the WWE Championship on the lines. You know, this didn't get me any more excited for the match. I still think it's completely ridiculous booking. And the fact that they're promoting this now, Chris, as Goldberg going after the one title he's never won, the WWE Championship, it actually gives me some anxiety and a pretty bad feeling about the potential outcome of this match. So I want to go back to McIntyre testing positive and him delivering that PSA. It was smart. It was well done. It was important that they did that. What I don't understand is why they didn't do any of that for 10 months and it took Drew McIntyre testing positive for them to basically acknowledge that COVID-19 exists. I mean, there, there'd been reports that, you know, Vince had banned the word COVID being mentioned by commentary. We, we think back to WrestleMania when Stephanie McMahon delivered that intro and just kind of vaguely acknowledged what was going on without saying why they were doing WrestleMania from, from the performance center. So I, and we didn't like, they did that, and it was—it's a very—it was a very different approach from the way AEW handled it. When they, they would mention COVID nineteen and pandemic, they would say all of their wrestlers are uh, tested or, or people are trying to social distance. Now they didn't follow that. They obviously had wrestlers around the ring who were not wearing masks and all kinds of stuff, and we had issues with that. But they acknowledged that the real world was happening. I, I we we had not been a fan of the way WWE had kind of just pretended things were weird for no reason. And this is, as far as I could tell, the first time they really like addressed the situation going on. And, you know, imagine if Drew McIntyre had said this, you know, six months ago and in every other, every episode they'd open with raw and say something like that. And just like acknowledge what's going on, but we want to provide you entertainment and, and go from there. So I'm really glad they did that. It just became really striking 
that they hadn't done that in a long time, if at all. I mean, it's not like, you know, so, you know, WWE, it's three brands, right? So we can't really compare it to SmackDown or NXT because they're all going to operate the same way. So the only other place we can talk about is AEW. AEW is not really, I mean, they've mentioned it kind of a little bit, but they haven't really gone full bore and said, hey, you know, we're still doing this show uh, because we're looking to entertain you. I mean, they do mention why there's limited people. They don't keep mentioning COVID. Um, But I mean, I also don't think WWE's hidden it. Like Kevin Owens has been backstage in a mask. And, you know, I think they've loosened up um, since let's just make a pick a date out of my ass here, August or so. I think once they realized this thing wasn't ending anytime soon, they, they kind of started showing more masks and things like that. But I don't know that they need to be that front and center on it because honestly, I watch Raw as an escape from everything. And if they're testing and they're being safe, which they now are, and good for them and good for them, you know, because of testing, they caught Drew McIntyre having a positive and they didn't allow him on the show because they didn't want him to pass it to anyone. Like that's how it's supposed to work. So I personally was fine with the way WWE has been handing it, handling it public facing wise. But when given an opportunity to really make a statement, I actually thought they delivered here. I mean, this is not a company that I'm normally going to give a lot of praise for things, but like, I can't even think of an example. And I, I forget who had or did not have COVID. I think Kayla had it right at one point, right? Yeah, so, Kayla, Kayla may have had it twice. Or I think she, yeah, she may have had it twice. twice. So, okay, Kayla Braxton has COVID. She's not going to cut a PSA. They're not going to make a real no. statement about that. If Lacey Evans has it, God forbid, and Lacey, I hope you don't have it. I'm just literally just, uh, looking at a name on my paper, and, and you, you're who I came up with. Um, she's not someone who it's going to matter if she says anything. Drew McIntyre, it matters. You know, maybe a Daniel Bryan or an AJ Styles. That's who would matter if they came out. But specifically your WWE champion. And you need to also, by the way, explain why he's not on television. Why is he cutting a promo from his house? You kind of have to explain why, right? And why are we not going to see him next week? Same thing, right? So that's basically where I'm leaning on this. I thought it was well done. And I actually kind of respected that they gave him the opportunity to do that. I was... I wasn't surprised because with him being WWE champion, I thought it was appropriate. But at the same time, to your point, WWE's really shied away from this recently and they didn't here. But uh, regarding the Goldberg stuff, let's kind of move on to that. I, I want to make one, one, one more sure. quick comment about COVID, which was it feels notable that, you know, Drew McIntyre tests positive, presumably yesterday or the day before or something. Literally one week after they had all the legends fly in, all these older people, and I'm sure everybody got tested and everything, but just it kind of, you know, it just it kind of reminds you how dangerous thing this can be, and, and the numbers have are worse than they've ever been. So just it's important that everybody stay careful and stay vigilant. And yes, I'm glad that they did it yesterday, and I thought they handled it really well yesterday. And as for Goldberg. Yeah, I mean, that was a good promo by Drew. They had to, I think they had to acknowledge how weird that was. I guess it was a report, I don't know if it was Meltzer or somebody, who said that McIntyre was supposed to cut a promo and then Goldberg was going to come out and respond. But because they were short on time, they cut out, they had to cut out Drew's promo. That's why Goldberg's made no sense. Um, I wasn't sure if they would continue to move forward with this. I mean, we're 
just a couple of weeks away from the Royal Rumble if Drew is testing positive now, how, you know, quarantine time-wise, how, how is that going to work? I guess it'll work out timing-wise, but uh, yeah, I, it, it, they definitely are trying to salvage it, and it's going to be very difficult, I think, not being able to have face-to-face with these two uh, very much, if at all, going into the match now. Nothing face-to-face. Nothing face-to-face. I wish I had the sound drop. Speaking of things I need to add to the soundboard, if we are to assume that Drew McIntyre tested positive on Monday, like let's just pick that date for the sake of argument, that puts him back for the go-home show of Raw uh, and for the Royal Rumble, basically. So you, you do get that final... Drew McIntyre, Goldberg showdown, and then you get their match. That's as long as he remains asymptomatic. And that is as long as he tests out negative following the CDC's mandatory 10-day quarantine for anyone who tests positive. So if all of that happens, yes, they can fit it in. I was slightly concerned when WWE, and, and we will move into this shortly, when WWE announced that Triple H was going to appear on the show and Drew McIntyre was going to make a statement I was concerned that they were going to strip him of the title. Yeah. And I didn't think it was appropriate because A, it shouldn't be a punishment. And I, you know, of course. But B, you've had people out. Like NXT just had Finn Balor out for, I think he missed two full months of of wrestling and defending the title. Honestly, it may have been slightly longer. Uh, And he kept the title. So why the hell wouldn't you keep it on your biggest baby face in the company right now? So I was very relieved and happy to see they didn't do that. But look, none of this fixes the Goldberg stuff. That's really the end result here. The Goldberg storyline sucks. If they have McIntyre drop the title to Goldberg, I will be incensed. If you thought the rant I had last week was bad or good, great. You know, whatever adjective you want to use. I cannot, if, if, if they allow McIntyre to drop this title, I will go insane on this podcast because it will be the dumbest booking decision for a company that has piled on the dumb booking decisions, particularly with Goldberg over the last couple of years. So, you know, let's move off of it. Let's talk about everything else that happened on Raw and and really what this led to on Raw, which is what's important because I don't want to keep talking about Goldberg unless I absolutely have to. Now, it was clear to me that Raw was rewritten in a major way from watching that show. The number one thing that stood out to me, Chris, and we'll talk about these matches later, but the number one thing that stood out was that there were three different segments on the show that were double matches. Right. Where they literally had a match, ended it, and then used members of that match to have another match. It happened three times on one show. They also replayed the Triple H Randy Orton segment, which is what we're going to talk about next, three different times on the show. They had a Goldberg highlight package. I mean, they were literally trying to fill up this episode because presumably people were not available to wrestle. However, that's not exactly the case because according to PW Insider, as we taped the show, the following talents were backstage at Raw on Monday night, but not utilized. Cedric Alexander, Asuka, Shelton Benjamin, Nikki Cross, Umberto Creo, Ricochet, and then Angel Garza was, but he appeared on Raw Talk. So with everything that's going on, and we'll talk about these individually, but you have Xavier Woods in a match with Retribution. Ricochet doesn't show up. You have the Hurt Business 
out there for a couple segments. You don't see the tag team champions. You have one half of the women's tag team champions out there. You don't see the other half. I have no idea who booked this show on Monday night, but it was haphazard. Most of it was boring or repetitive. And really, it was in some ways insulting. Now, I appreciate that they had to rewrite the show because the booked main event or the booked main angle was Drew McIntyre against Randy Orton. And we don't exactly know how that was going to play out, but we have to probably assume the finish of Raw was the same finish it would have been if Drew McIntyre was in that spot. But even if you're rebooking the entire show, to not utilize all these different pieces of talent that you have, to me is just, it's somewhat mind-boggling. Yeah, I don't see how not having Drew has much of an impact on on the her business and Matt Riddle or on right. and Keith Lee. Uh, I mean, maybe a little bit, but yeah, some of them, I, I really don't think it had anything to do with it. We talk all the time about how raw is incredibly segmented and things aren't tied together. So I, I highly doubt that there was going to be much overlap. And yeah, I mean, based on what you said on the, on the number of people who were back there, it's very strange. And to again, repeat, like you said, there were, three double matches. We talked about sometimes they have surprise roll-ups three times on a show. You would Which they did. Like, you would <laughs> kind of. Well, kind right. Of. Well, I, like, you, yeah. But even like we, we talk about like having these matches and things be separate from each other and not all follow the same playbook. Mm-hmm. We kind of got that again, just in a different way. So yeah, it, w- it was very strange. Just really strange from that sense. And it made for a bad show. So let, let's talk about the main storyline on Raw, which ended up involving Triple H, who is now apparently, at least in kayfabe, the COO of WWE. Uh, he hit the ring and looks like looked like he was going to make a statement. And that's where I thought this McIntyre thing was going to go. But Randy Orton's music hits. He calls him out for being there while McIntyre couldn't be and threatened to make an announcement that benefited Orton. He wanted Triple H to say something that would help him. Triple H praised Orton's cunning as of late but not his humiliating of legends and called them a prick. At least they didn't use bitch. That was, that was a nice change. Uh, Orton suggested he rectify everything by fighting Triple H, but Triple H declined because there's no benefit for him to fight anymore. Orton said Stephanie McMahon had Triple H's balls in her purse, and so Triple H one-punched him. Uh, Triple H later backstage accepted the challenge on behalf of all the legends, and Orton said he was excited to direct all of his built-up hate at Triple H. Keith Lee, we then saw, told Triple H he would take his spot in the match since he always has his back, but Triple H said it was his mess to clean up. So this was clearly repetitive. It was clearly lame. But WWE, they did have to scramble to put something together with McIntyre out of action. They played the opening segment, as I said, three times over the course of the show. I have no idea why another McIntyre-Orton match was even scheduled in the first place. Like we don't get a chance to always talk about the preview overall on this show, but they late in the week announced that they were going to do McIntyre Orton again for no reason when they haven't really even been interacting with each other. So that made zero sense. I also have no idea why they couldn't have done anything else and just shifted things around. Surely they could have found someone else to fight Randy Orton. They could have done the Keith Lee Randy Orton rematch again, especially since in the Triple H booking, there was no finish. So it just felt to me like they they got screwed. 
because of, you know, Drew McIntyre testing positive for COVID-19. And the most important thing there is Drew being healthy, no question. But WWE was in a tough spot. But I think this proved their lack of creativity and their major booking problems on Raw, that even given that happening, they couldn't book around it. They could have put Asuka in a Raw Women's Championship match. They could have put the tag team titles on the line against Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo teaming up. They could have done numerous different things to stretch out the show. They could have put the Sheamus Keith Lee thing with all of that happening in the main event if they wanted to. They they could have done numerous things, but this was not it. And, you know, we'll talk about what happened and how the show ended, but I was just really dismayed, not so much at this booking because I understood it in context, but about what it said about WWE's creative process and the booking on Raw. I mean, so you're not wrong, but I will I'm say, never wrong. you have to understand that. But I, I will say, as someone who was not watching live, when I saw on Twitter that Triple H is opening the show and Triple H is going to wrestle in the main event, I thought to myself, oh, I kind of want to check that out. It's just, it, it's the same thing that happened last week with the Legends Night. You, 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 tell, you tell people that these former stars are here and it draws interest. We said last week we didn't think Legends Night was going to help the ratings. We were wrong. Uh, certainly not having Monday Night Football helped and certainly having the college football game will affect last night's ratings. But it clearly had an impact. So I think in that same sense of having Triple H as a one-night-only thing because Drew McIntyre is out as a a quick fill-in probably drew a bit more attention than they would have gotten otherwise. And in that sense, I think it made... I, I, I think it made sense and it worked. Triple H... Doesn't matter what it is, still a great promo. I love hearing him on the mic. Love hear, love seeing that entrance. I think it was his first match on Raw since like 2016. They said uh, so. Just to see it was his game. first match period in over a year. I mean, he didn't wrestle yeah. in 2020. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and I know it wasn't much of a match, but but I, I still thought it was cool seeing him. And and you know, if, if that's all they wanted to get done, I I, I think that worked for me. Business picks up when Triple H or Vince McMahon, or honestly, even Stephanie McMahon, is going to make an announcement or say something on TV. Again, my issue isn't so much with what they did. It's just how lacking in creativity it, it, it came off as. Like, sure, that Triple H-Randy Orton segment that opened the show, we have seen three times from Triple H and Randy Orton over the years. It's exactly the same. There are, I can't even count on probably two hands how many wrestlers have started feuds with Triple H over the last 10 years by talking about Stephanie McMahon wearing the pants in the family or yeah. having his balls in her purse? That, 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 is, that, that is terrible. I hate how they always say that. Aside from it being just a, a, a pretty much sexist thing to say, they say it every single time someone's, it's, someone's feuding with Triple H. So, so that's what I'm talking about. It's the lacking. It's not the, the, the choice. It's the lacking of the creativity and booking in doing it the way they did it. I mean, they could have had Randy Orton come out and and even for a one-week thing said, you know, I've taken down all these legends. Now we got all this fresh blood in NXT. I need to, I'm going to start going after these new guys, the Riddles, the Keith Lees, right? And then you have Triple H come out to defend his NXT dudes. And Randy Orton talks shit about NXT. And Triple H gets angry and punches him. And now you're rolling again. And now it's at least a little bit different. So that's my point. It's just, it was so tired 
it was so repetitive. It was like, man, they really aren't creative sometimes in this company, but lately on this brand. And this was a paradigm of that for me. That was my issue with it. Not so much that they just use Triple H. I get it, given the circumstances. We did have the match, Triple H against Randy Orton. Triple H wore a motorhead shirt and pants. Clearly, he had not prepared for wrestling, so... Yeah, I know. <laughs> He didn't go shirtless. Yeah, get the get the man some some jeans or lighter jeans. I don't know what those pants were, but it it, it looked a little weird. I think if he had been in just regular jeans, it would look better. Yeah, he could have found a pair of jeans. You send someone. It's a three hour show. Right. Someone can go get some jeans. Uh, Orton nailed him a few times before Triple H grabbed the sledgehammer and the lights started going out. Suddenly, the sledgehammer was like draped over the ring apron. He picks it up to use it, and it's on fire. Then all of a sudden, Triple H disappears. The ring was purple. Uh, There was some warped Firefly Funhouse music that played. And then suddenly Alexa Bliss appears in the corner. She did nothing for what felt like two minutes. And then out of nowhere, shoots Orton in the face with a fireball. Like she's morphed into Chun-Li or something like that. I guess the sledgehammer suddenly on fire. That was kind of cool. And it played into the fire aspect of everything going on with the Fiend. But man, that fireball for me was top tier stupid. The entire main event segment ended up being a waste of time. I awarded zero points and may God have mercy on our souls for watching it. Maybe some of you liked it, Chris, maybe you liked it. And if you did, that's fine. I'm not going to criticize it because just like with every theme thing, it's different levels of taste. Um, You know, Royal Rumble, it looks like they're going with a comic book theme for Royal Rumble. Is it possible that some elements of fantastical stuff are utilized in a Fiend-Randy Orton rematch? I definitely think that's possible. I like the Fiend shit. I do. And there's a lot of things I like, like when the Fiend was burned alive uh, a couple weeks ago, that others hated. But this, to me, was asinine. It was another forced cliffhanger to end Raw that really will have no follow-up because my guess is Orton is going to be able to see just fine next week. So... It just felt like a colossal waste of time, not just this end of the show, but all the Triple H and Randy Orton stuff built up throughout the entire show, which felt like it took up, you know, 45 minutes of a three hour raw. So, so, so where do we rank this fireball? I mean, I mean, it's ahead, it's ahead of, um, was it, was it Hogan Piper back in WCW or was that Hogan Warrior or was it Warrior? I don't remember. It might've been, I heard what you're talking about though. It it was better than that one. Probably not as good as Kane and X-Pac. Not as good as that. Also not as good as Keith Lee carrying Cross. They just did this in WWE like a couple months ago. That's right. I did see that one. That was a little bit different, but yes, same kind of deal. So, so it was a middle, middle tier fireball. I, I, it did look good. It looked good. Well, they like clearly, the, I mean, obviously they edited it. It could make it look better compared to those other ones, which were happening. There was a, there was a picture of it. It looked great. Oh, yeah. The picture looked great. Definitely. Yeah. So I, I think, like a lot of this Fiend, Randy Orton stuff, I like the idea. I just feel like it sometimes is missing a greater context. I mean, like, I, I would have loved a longer Alexa Bliss promo about fire and what fire means, and then boom, hits him with the fireball at the end. It was just kind of, yes. it felt a little random. It was, it was some, it was, I thought it was fine. But I feel like just a little bit of tweaking could have made it a lot better. Exactly. Why not have a Firefly Funhouse segment earlier where she's in the Funhouse talking to all the characters about fire? 
Why not immediately before she does the fireball have her because, you know, she wears that wireless mic now, now that she's this character. Why not have that? Why not have Orton kind of get turned around and suddenly the entire playground is in the ring? There, there's so many different things they could have done to make that better, but it was just incredibly weak. And again, a forced end of show cliffhanger on Raw, which they are now doing every week, but they don't follow it up. They don't give you on social media even, Randy Orton on the ground with his hands over his face and trainers running over to him for 90 seconds. There's nothing. All that happens is maybe at some point WWE later on Tuesday while we're taping the show or before Raw next week says Randy Orton suffered second degree burns after Alexa Bliss threw a fireball in his face at the end of Monday Night Raw. Uh, Orton's vision was not impacted and he will be on Raw Monday to address Alexa Bliss and The Fiend. Like, you know that's what's going to happen. Yes. You know, we we, we ended the last couple weeks ago, we ended with Randy Orton potentially setting Alexa Bliss on fire, us not knowing, and then that not even leading the <laughs> leading off the next episode. Yeah, at all. it so. doesn't lead the show. And Randy Orton's explanation was, I figured out how to challenge, uh, channel my anger. And by holding back from burning Alexa Bliss, I can now use that anger elsewhere. It's like, okay, or maybe you're just not a piece of shit who's going to burn a woman alive, right? It's like, like, it's like, it's like maybe it's that's like, the explanation. It's like they're dipping their toe in this. Just like go all in and don't don't give us weird Correct. stuff, but not give us the explanation. Give us the weird stuff. Give us a weird explanation behind it and all, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, so. if you're going to book fantastical shit, then book it. You're exactly yeah. right. Don't dip a toe in. Go all in. If you want to make this cinematic, the shit with Orton, make it all cinematic. I thought the Inferno match, the Firefly Inferno match or whatever the hell that was called, worked like i mm-hmm. actually thought that was good and i know people didn't like it that's okay but i liked it but to kind of keep going and, and and make it worse and worse the longer you drag it out you're not doing yourself any favors you're not doing raw any favors and you're not doing your fans any favors so you chose chris to start off on a negative note the silver king is going to move us into a positive note i wanted to well, put that I entire- guess that, that was there was a lot of positive more positive in there for me than probably for you i'll just say out of that. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I'm curious to see what everyone thinks. So after you guys listen, you, you know, obviously you can tweet us as you always can. Um, maybe I'll even do a poll and just simply ask, did you like that entire thing on Monday night? But I have a feeling where that would go because usually our polls get picked up even beyond our listenership, which, um, you know, Twitter can be very negative uh, just in general, as, as we have known forever, basically. Uh, but let's take us out of the negative. Let's move, at least for me, into the very positive, which was the main storyline and the main event of SmackDown on Friday night. We ended up getting a gauntlet match to determine the number one contender for the Universal Championship. The show opened with Roman Reigns taking six minutes, I counted, to get into the ring, <laughs> to, to do his entire entrance. We're, we're on Undertaker levels of slow entrances now with Roman. It's deliberate. It's on purpose. But I mean, pick it up a little bit, like just one foot in front of the other. Let's get there. Okay. But he took six minutes to get to the ring and he said he respects Kevin Owens for being ambitious and having guts. He said part of being a locker room leader is caring about everyone backstage and putting food on their tables as well. Reigns then blamed Adam Pierce for Owens injuries and Paul Heyman broke the fourth wall some, which I thought was a really cool moment. Then he got pissed that Pierce made a gauntlet match 
because he wants to choose his own opponents for the Universal title. Reigns started threatening Pierce until Heyman finally talked him down and they left. Later in the show, Heyman approached Pierce and recounted their history before telling him that he and Reigns got Pierce into the gauntlet match as a competitor. What I liked about all of this is Reigns is just oozing confidence. He is showing so much swagger and machismo. It's very much like he is the mafia boss character that we've kind of been talking about him morphing into. It may not have been a very exciting opening segment, but it did set a tone for the rest of the show. And I loved the idea that Adam Pierce would be competing in the gauntlet match. This guy has been retired for six years. He hadn't wrestled in WWE since 1997. <laughs> Knowing all of that, I legitimately popped for the setup of the gauntlet match and the continued character development of Roman Reigns. Yeah, no, Roman Reigns is exactly that confident type of guy that we've talked about. But I, I got to say, I've been praising him for weeks now. Adam Pierce more than carried his own in this. Oh, I, yeah. I continue oh, yeah. to love him as the authority figure who has authority, not all the authority, and he's not going to immediately cower in the face of the heel or something like that. He's going to stand up for himself in the right moments. He continues to find that perfect middle ground, I think, of what a lot of us want in that authority figure, very much like William Regal uh, at, at NXT. Uh, so I love the back and forth between these guys I, I have for, for, for a bit. And obviously the way it ended up playing out on, uh, on SmackDown. Adam Pierce is a complete breath of fresh air in yeah. terms of an authority figure, as you're saying. And I will tell you all, you know, no guarantees. We'll see what happens. I will tell you all there's a request in from Adam Silverstein to interview Adam Pierce on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will see if that gets filled. But let's talk about everything else that happened in regards to this show-long storyline, which mainly is the gauntlet match. So they announced the competitors for it, Chris. And before I talk about the entire match, it was Rey Mysterio, Sami Zayn, Shinsuke Nakamura, Daniel Bryan, King Corbin, and then we knew Adam Pierce was getting added to it. Based on that lineup, I had a concern and I had an expectation. My concern was Daniel Bryan might win and they would almost hotshot a feud that should have been built stronger. My expectation was that Rey Mysterio was going to win because it would make total sense to give Rey Mysterio a one-off championship match at the Royal Rumble where he doesn't really get hurt by losing to Reigns, but he can still put on a really good match. When these competitors were announced, that was 100% the expectation. Mysterio's going to win, but again, I was concerned Brian might. I'm curious where your mind was before this all happened. No, I, I had the same thought because we already know that the other title match at Royal Rumble is McIntyre versus Goldberg. Right. So, so I thought they were going to give us, you know, the, the work weight, the, I'm sorry, the work rate championship match. Uh, and that, so I expected Daniel Bryan to come out on top or maybe a Rey Mysterio like you said. That I, but you I, did I think Brian. Were, were you dreading Brian winning? No, I was not dreading Brian winning. I, okay. I thought I thought it would be, I'm looking forward to if they do a Roman Dana Bryan feud, whether it was now or whether it's WrestleMania. Um, I, I didn't, if this was the way he got it, I think, again, there could have been better ways to do it. But if it got us to the point where I was, I would have been happy with that. No, I would have been fine with it. Now, I'm going to preface this entire thing by saying, there are few things that WWE does consistently right. 
But one of those things is gauntlet matches. Yep. Somehow, whoever books these, even if it's just Vince and, and I don't know, I don't know who it is. I don't know who deserves credit. But the last three or four important gauntlet matches that we've gotten in WWE have all delivered. And this one was no exception. It started out with Rey Mysterio and Sami Zayn. Zayn now has a documentary film crew following him around, <laughs> which is incredible. Yes. It's incredible. Uh, and cut a promo about being the rightful Intercontinental Champion. Uh, Mysterio caught him off guard with a missile dropkick, a 619, and a frog splash for a really quick win. So Mysterio getting that win off the top, I'm like, okay, this is going exactly how I thought. The next person came coming in was Shinsuke Nakamura. Nakamura rolled out of a sunset flip powerbomb outside, kneed Mysterio in the face for a two count. It was really fun to see Shinsuke Nakamura and Rey Mysterio wrestle. Like just something I never thought I would see. So cool. Uh, there was a botch at the finish before Mysterio hit the 619. Nakamura then blocked the Eddie Guerrero frog splash with his knees and earned an armbar submission on Rey Mysterio in a surprise. So now I'm like, I'm thrown for a loop because I'm like, oh man, Shinsuke's advancing. So now mentally I'm preparing for Daniel Bryan. Ultimately, the face going over the heel at the end, right? The heel going on a decent run. So next person up is King Corbin. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. They're going heel, heel. They try not to do that, but no, they did. Corbin ran down, attacked Dominic, Ray, and Nakamura before the match continued. Their match was really slow until Corbin countered the Kinshasa into the deep six, which was really cool. Nakamura hit a triangle uh, that was countered with a powerbomb. And then Nakamura caught Corbin running in from around the post, which I love when he does that. He catches him running back into the ring with Kinshasa for the win. So I'm seeing Shinsuke Nakamura wrestle as a single and beat Rey Mysterio and King Corbin consecutively. And I'm starting to get excited. Now I'm getting excited because Daniel Bryan is next. And we always knew Adam Pierce, of course, would be last. We just assumed. But as I said last week on this show, I wanted more Bryan and Nakamura. And boy, did we get it. Bryan hit a German suplex bridge for a two. They countered arm bars and Nakamura escaped rings of Saturn after the yes lock. Brian missed a hurricanrana in a botch, but they made it work. Brian tried to get a pin off of an arm bar, but Nakamura kicked out. Then they traded karate blows and kicks. Nakamura caught a running Brian with Kinshasa to advance again. This was so freaking awesome. And I could have seen them go for another 15 minutes. I have zero doubt that Daniel Bryan booked the wrestling in this entire thing on purpose in order to get Shinsuke Nakamura over. They shook hands after the match. And it started looking there like they're turning Shinsuke Nakamura face again. And I'm going to pause here because obviously what happened last is what's most important. But were you getting those same vibes where it's like, man, this is weird. Nakamura has been healed for a number of years, but he was fully booked as a baby face throughout almost the entirety of this gauntlet match. My thought when Shinsuke went on that run was, again, WWE can make anybody a star if they want to. And that's all it takes. Something like booking a gauntlet match like that made Shinsuke look like a million bucks. And, you know, it was a gauntlet match that started off Kofi Mania, you know, a few years ago. Seth Rollins had that gauntlet match that went almost an hour on Raw. Uh, They they can do this when they want to. I, I loved so much about this match. I loved Nakamura versus Corbin when we assumed they were both heels. How often do we get a heel versus heel match? How often do we get Corbin wrestling somebody new 
Like so much of that matchup felt so fresh. That How I often think, do you get Corbin losing and Nakamura winning? Yeah, in a well, single. These it's days. just everything about that felt fresh and new. And even if the wrestling wasn't as good or whatever, just it felt different. And I really, really liked that. I, I just really liked the way they played this up. And I said, like, "Oh, are we gonna hot shot Shinsuke to a um, to a title opportunity here as a, as a one off? Because because that's what they're kind of building." And um, Obviously, that's not the direction they went in, but just tremendous, tremendous setup, everything involved in that. Yeah, I was thinking like Nakamura ends up winning and they beat down Pierce after because then he's in a wrestling context, not a, you know, WWE official context. That's kind of where my head was going. I did not expect what actually happened, although I probably should have seen it coming. So Nakamura wins, beats Brian, they shake hands, and I'm like, man. Shinsuke Nakamura is getting built up. And and quickly, I'm going to interject on myself here. To your point, yes, people can be fickle about WWE. It takes one gauntlet match or it takes like a Raw and a pay-per-view win. That's all it takes to get someone over. It really is all it takes. And the fact that WWE doesn't succeed at doing that more often, it's really a shame. Yeah, Sorry, no, and look, yeah, and look what I mean. Look what they did at Jey Uso a couple months ago on SmackDown. Like, yes, th- SmackDown at least they they know this. They know they can take somebody, put them on a little bit of run, and make it work. One hundred percent. Again, it takes two or three segments. Sometimes it can happen in one show. You can stretch it up out a little bit. It is not overly difficult to get people over, and yet Raw seems to struggle so mightily with it. In so many ways. But okay, back to this. So Nakamura beats Brian. They shake hands. Roman Reigns music hits. Then Adam Pierce comes down after Reigns. Jey Uso and Reigns attack Nakamura before the match, two on one with a super kick, Superman punch, and Samoan splash with the goal of getting Pierce a win. So I guess Reigns would have a legitimate reason to fight him without it coming with some type of penalty. Reigns threw Pierce in the ring and said to do his job. Jay then super kicked him, and Pierce sold it like total death. It might be, we should maybe do sell of the year as an award for 2021, just to highlight this in December. That's how good this sell was. So Jay super kicks him. You would think Pierce's head came off his body. He just fell down with no weight whatsoever. They then got the bell to ring. uh, Jay, I, I mean, dragged Pierce over to Nakamura, and Reigns made the official count one, two, three. Man, I loved this. A lot of people straight up got worked into a shoot on this as well. Reigns versus Pierce, is it an attractive match to advertise for the Royal Rumble? Of course it's not. But obviously, if you think about it, at least for me, my belief is that Shinsuke Nakamura is going to wind up fighting Roman Reigns on the pay-per-view as the rightful winner of the gauntlet match. All this did was make Reigns more of a heel, cement Nakamura as a face because he got attacked in that manner by a heel, and it gives Nakamura a reason to want to fight Reigns versus simply just winning a gauntlet match and becoming the number one contender. This was so well done. It got Adam Pierce over. It cemented, as I said, Roman Reigns and Jey Uso as even greater heels than they already are, and it kickstarted Shinsuke Nakamura into his new face turn. So win, 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 win. 
congratulations to SmackDown. This is the exact opposite of what WWE did on Raw. So, so you think this is going to be like a Vince McMahon winning the Royal Rumble situation where he's not going to be the ultimate matchup? I think that even if Adam Pearce <coughs> fights Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble, once that match is over in four minutes, Shinsuke Nakamura's music hits, he challenges, Reigns accepts, and they have that match on the pay-per-view. I think one way or another, Nakamura fights Reigns at the Royal Rumble. I'm curious to see how it'll go. It's like I said, it's the reason I didn't think Pierce was going to win is because the other title match we have is is Goldberg and McIntyre. So I didn't think they would give us two championship matches that are, frankly, not going to be good wrestling matches. So I am curious if they work around anything, if we do get a Pierce-Reigns match on a SmackDown or something like that. Um, The other thing they could do is a triple threat. Pierce could say, well, I am still a WWE Mm -hmm. official and Shinsuke Nakamura deserved the opportunity. So we're going to make this a triple threat match. So therefore, Pierce Pierce takes fewer bumps. Roman can still get some licks in on him. And ultimately, Roman can pin Pierce, but Nakamura, without Nakamura losing, despite Nakamura getting the opportunity. And then you have Roman Reigns versus Nakamura theoretically in February. So you're able to stretch that out another month. It gives Reigns the interim matches he needs to get to whoever his Royal Rumble opponent is going to be. Yeah. If this was anything, if this wasn't the Royal Rumble, if this was a B-level pay-per-view, I would have been totally fine with doing a Reigns versus Pierce match, just kind Me of as a, as a one-off. It's a little bit weird at the Rumble, that, that like, like we just said. So, curious. Let, let me put it this way. Let, let me but, put it this way. Yeah. I don't think they're announcing Roman Reigns, Adam Pierce three weeks out from the Royal Rumble for that to be all we get from Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble. Sure. So, yeah, I'm curious what they'll do, if they'll change anything. But I have to say, as with everything that's involved Roman Reigns and and pretty much everything in the SmackDown title picture for a while, I trust them to get it right, whatever they end up doing. I'm not in love with Pierce Reigns for a Royal Rumble title match, but I think whatever they end up doing, they'll get it right. I completely agree. They have my trust when it comes to Roman Reigns, really when it comes to almost anything on SmackDown. But Roman Reigns in particular, whatever storyline he is involved with, I will not judge harshly until it actually happens. And right now they've given us no reason to, you know, think it's go- this is going to be bad no matter what this is. What I will say is I think this also clarifies the Royal Rumble picture. And this can maybe be, it was unplanned, but this can be the third part of our main event. To me right now, there are really, I want to say two people who I think can win the Royal Rumble and have it make sense in, in kayfabe and storyline. One of them is Daniel Bryan. And I think the other one is Keith Lee. Maybe you can throw Sheamus in there as well. My expectation is they take each other out of that match. But that's where I'm leaning right now because, I mean, who else could it be? Maybe Kevin Owens? It just seems like Daniel Bryan is positioned right now. He's been consistently featured. He's constantly been in and around Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, but they haven't pulled a trigger on anything there. Big E, it doesn't seem like he's going to lose the Intercontinental title in enough time to win the Royal Rumble, so that wouldn't work. I have to think it's in that small group of people that I just mentioned I mean, you could maybe throw a Randy Orton in there, but 
I, I think Daniel Bryan, if you were making odds on the Royal Rumble, Daniel Bryan would be the odds on favorite. And your next three would be Keith Lee, Sheamus, and Kevin Owens in some order. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And it really comes down to who 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 are Roman and Drew going to fight at WrestleMania? We know who Roman's options are. You know, uh, Daniel Bryan uh, or, or Kevin Owens. For, for Drew McIntyre, is it going to be a... Um, uh, a Keith Lee, a Randy Orton, or a, or a Sheamus, or I, w- I really still wonder if they'll bring back Brock and run back Drew and Brock again for the Raw Championship, uh, WWE Championship match as a makeup for last year, essentially. Um, in which case, yeah, that leads me down to I think Daniel Bryan's probably going. I think Daniel Bryan or Kevin Owens is probably the way they go. I think Kevin Owens did, did a really good job, drew a really good reaction and in, in in reviews in that two-month losing feud with Reigns that they could make him the underdog going up against Reigns at a WrestleMania match as the, well. What is, what, they're they're what, running out of time to, to pull the trigger on a Daniel Bryan versus Roman because he's not interacting with Roman directly all that much. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, he just beat Jay, right? Um, so I'm thinking that this, that's how you kickstart it with Royal Rumble. For right, right now, for me, the way I see things going is that Royal Rumble determines the SmackDown contender, so the Universal Championship number one contender. And at Elimination Chamber, rather than McIntyre being the match, they have a number one contendership Elimination Chamber for the Raw side with the winner going on to face Drew McIntyre. Could be. Could be. That's at least how I think it is now. But look, again, we don't know because McIntyre, I'm knocking on wood, this is actually wood. My dog got scared. He thought it was the door. Uh, knocking on wood here. Goldberg could win the title. So, so <laughs> anything I, I, can freaking happen. <laughs> I don't. I still really, really don't think Goldberg's going to win the title. I understand why people <laughs> think he they will. I also have to say, if Goldberg was going to win, I it would have made sense for them to strip the title if they weren't sure about Drew, and then have Goldberg beat somebody else for it at Royal Rumble. If the goal was for Goldberg to get the title. I agree with that, but we're dealing with Raw here. So again, SmackDown, benefit of the doubt. Raw, no, it's the opposite, really. I don't know what the opposite of benefit of the doubt is, but um, assumed shittiness is is basically what we have to say when it comes to Raw. So look, Royal Rumble three weeks out. We got a long way to go, really, in terms of TV storyline to get there. A lot can still happen. They pushed it to the end of January. Elimination Chamber is going to be the end of February. WrestleMania is going to be going to be the end of March. So it's really going to be interesting to see how this all kind of fits together. But especially on the SmackDown side, they have my attention. On the Raw side, I guess you could say they have my curiosity. And, um, you know, we will see how that ultimately plays out. Let's talk about now everything else that happened on SmackDown and Raw this week so we can wrap up this show. And there is still a lot left to talk about. So I'm not trying to you know, say that what's coming up is, is very short and abbreviated. Let's talk this Keith Lee, Sheamus long-term thing. Again, three different storylines on Raw that lasted two matches. One of them was Keith Lee and Sheamus defeating The Miz and John Morrison. Sheamus told Lee backstage that he had earned his respect from the Drew McIntyre match before Miz and Morrison interrupted to taunt them and basically set up the tag team match. Lee shoulder tackled Morrison in the corner and the top turnbuckle 
completely, genuinely broke off the ring post. Lee and Sheamus made hysterical faces and WWE had to fix it during the commercial break. Chris, if that is not... Big meaty men slapping meat. (laughs) Then I don't know what big meaty men slapping meat's all about if it's not breaking off the damn top turnbuckle. Yeah, no, that that's the big meaty moment of the year, I, I think. I think it is. The ultimate meaty. I, I think um Yeah. Without a doubt. That was that was something. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> I've ever seen that before. It was incredible. So uh Lee comes back, hits uh Tour of the Islands on Morrison, Seamus hits a blind tag as Lee was getting ready for the spirit bomb. So Seamus hits the bro kick instead, gets the win. In that moment, Lee wasn't thrilled about it. But he wasn't upset. He did not look angry at all. I thought it was interesting and maybe surprising to see Keith Lee and Sheamus be so buddy-buddy. And it was kind of successful, like a little frenemies angle. The real moment with the turnbuckle was, of course, awesome, but it also wasn't planned. But they didn't leave it there because they came back from like a backstage segment or a commercial. And suddenly, Keith Lee and Sheamus are shoving each other. And it just felt to me completely unnecessary. But we end up getting a match between the two. Sheamus worked on Lee's arm. He had a V-trigger. Lee eventually managed to power through the injured arm to hit the spirit bomb for the clean one, two, three. Sheamus pushed a fist bump offered from Lee away and gave him a huge bear hug after the match. I'm never going to really hate on a clean win for Keith Lee, especially over someone like Sheamus. And the idea of them teaming up. Put your meat on my meat, man. For them to go against maybe the Hurt Business or something, that would be interesting. But the booking of just jamming a second match into the storyline again, which they did three times in one three-hour show, that just was like, what the hell are they doing here? Why can't these guys just be friends? But it was good action, both matches. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it was a little bit weird booking, but I get the story they were going for, and I, and I liked it. I, it. It fits exactly with what we were told made Seamus and Drew friends, was that they, that they were friends, and the fact that they would get in fights with each other strengthened their friendship. So it kind of made so it made sense here that Seamus would get into a fight with Keith Lee and then respect the hell out of him after that, and they'd become closer through that. I know that's weird, uh, sometimes a weird thing to say in a competitive wrestling context but it fit it it fit with what they've told us about Seamus for the past month or two as they've turned his character so I really liked it I like the idea that these guys who didn't know each other but both had the same friend and are getting to know each other and realizing that like oh we have things in common and we could be friends too and they kind of go off and do their own thing I don't know where it's going to go but them as friends has been a fun little uh, twist. I don't think it, I don't know if it means they're going to be friends and then have a breakup and then WrestleMania match or something, but I like where they're going so far with this. It works because they're all worried about the same thing. Don't worry about the shirt. Worry about the meat inside the shirt. It just, it, it's, you're right. It works for all of them. The Drew McIntyre, Sheamus stuff, the McIntyre, Keith Lee match. Now Sheamus and Lee having a match. It's all well and good, but I just don't want to keep seeing kind of the same thing. Like, I don't want to keep seeing Keith Lee and Sheamus work together well, but then have to fight each other. They did this entire storyline back during Survivor Series in November. Now it was five people, 
But these two were part of that. So they're still continuing this. Like the aggression, this aggression will not stand, man. They're, they're still doing that from with Keith Lee and Sheamus. What, three months later at this point? So uh, let's move on and make them a tag team if you want. I'm down for that. Allow Keith Lee to now be elevated because he's beaten Sheamus and almost beat Drew McIntyre. That's cool too. And have them be friends. It's okay. We talked about it. Like Sheamus being a heel, McIntyre being a face. It's cool for them to be friends, but not tag team. It's also cool for Keith Lee and Sheamus to be friends, but not tag team all the time. And I certainly don't want to see them against Miz and Morrison again. I'm done with kind of that part of it. Uh, But let's talk about another double match segment here. Uh, We had a United States Championship match, Bobby Lashley against... Dude, I've been talking about having a United States Championship match for like months, and I've wanted Riddle to be the guy for months, and they just put it on Raw. Like, it could have been a match at the Royal Rumble. I get why they didn't, because both of them are going to be in the Rumble most likely. Fine. It could have been on the go-home show for the Rumble. They could have promoted it for a week. No, they just, here you go, Riddle. Uh, You beat Lashley, you rolled him up. Now you get a United States Championship match. So that annoyed me. The rest of it kind of didn't annoy me, but we'll, we'll go through it here. Riddle had a comedy segment backstage with Lucha House Party. It fell flat. It was probably his worst of all the ones he's done. Uh, Lashley jumped Riddle before the bell, just like Riddle did last week. So some comeuppance there. That's nice. Lashley, like, urinagied him over the top rope. Riddle bounced off the rope, then bounced off the ring apron and hit the ground really, really hard. The guy is a total beast, the type of bumps he takes. Riddle ran Lashley into the ring post, hit a springboard floating bro to the outside, Lashley caught Riddle flying with a lifted choke slam, and then one with the Hurt Lock. It was a super, super short match, but it was really exciting. Riddle then immediately called out MVP. So uh, they did a double match segment, Riddle versus MVP. MVP delivered a beating early, but Riddle hit a final flash, then punt kicked Lashley off the ring apron and hit the floating bro. He was about to beat MVP clean when Lashley ran in and speared him for the disqualification and then hit a face buster. Then MVP kicked Riddle in the stomach. So it seems like Riddle is still the number one contender for the US title, but if not, he was made to look exceptionally bad here. I have to believe he's going to be the one to take the strap off Lashley. And I think if they actually give them time, 15, 20 minutes, they're gonna have an absolute banger of a match because both these guys are great. But this just felt so, again, haphazard, rushed, jammed together. I didn't feel like you need the Riddle MVP match if you give Lashley Riddle an additional seven minutes. That's at least how I would have booked it, Chris. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. I I mean, I'm going to assume they're going to give us Lashley Riddle at the Rumble in a longer match so they don't want to give the whole thing away on a Raw and this was a way to get around it. You know, could they just have not done the MVP segment, done a Riddle MVP next week and, and... Dragged it on a little bit. Maybe. They could have had them interact backstage where MVP and like Hurt Business is making fun of Riddle for being hurt and losing. And Riddle just basically says, yeah, maybe Lashley beat me this way, but I can beat your ass and I'll beat your ass next week. And now you have a reason to promote next week's Raw. Right. I, I think there's different ways they could have different ways they could have done it. But what they actually did, I think, makes sense based on the direction they're going. They gave us a U.S. title match that we haven't had in forever. They're going to give us another one, I, I assume. So I, I think it was a step forward, although it was probably a bit sloppy. 
Sloppy is a good word for it. Uh, now, we had a similar situation somewhat on SmackDown. The Intercontinental title was on the line, but this one was announced ahead of time as an open challenge. Big E against Apollo Crews. This thing started at a crazy fast pace. There was a double leg lock pinfall at the start of the match before WWE immediately cut to commercial. I feel like it was intentional. Some people think it wasn't. I think it was intentional and I get the booking, but it was unnecessary to have Biggie wrestle to a draw a couple minutes into his first title defense. So then Cruz demanded it not end like that. He slapped Biggie across the face. So Biggie forced the match to restart and he went absolutely nuts on Cruz. Cruz hit a frog splash in a standing moonsault, but Biggie kicked out twice and then Biggie eventually caught Cruz with a urinagi and the big ending for the win. So it was strong that Biggie got a solid victory over Apollo Cruz. Apollo Cruz looked great throughout this entire match, but again, a double match where it was unnecessary. The draw booking initially, why would you do that to your brand new champion? It just felt sloppy and kind of unnecessary. I'd much rather them ha- have them wrestle for 12 minutes and have Apollo Cruz take him to the limit and Biggie win at the very end. I think you accomplished the exact same thing. I I, I didn't have any problems with this. I, I thought it made sense for what it what it was. We we've you know, Biggie has been built up. He still gets a win, still looks good. WWE doesn't often do draws, so it was a different way to get to a, a continuation of a match. Cruz looked great. You know, it, it, it he clearly earned Biggie's respect as well. I didn't have any. I didn't really didn't have any problems with this. I, I liked it. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere with Cruz. You know, we've seen him stop and start so many times, but I think everybody came out of this looking looking better. I, I really did. I really thought it was fine. That's fair enough. I, I don't disagree that they came out looking better. I thought Biggie again got a solid win, and I thought Cruz did well for himself. But I just would prefer one medium length match than two super short ones, especially when you can put all of the action in there together. Or you even, if you want to do the double pinfall, you just kind of do it and then have Big E, the face champion, say, no, 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 we're not ending in the draw. Screw that, restart the match. And then you just keep going. I just thought there were better ways to do it than Big E kind of shrugging like, oh, well, that's how it goes. I retained my title. No, you're the champion. You're a face. This is your first title defense. Like that's not how he should have wanted to go out. But it was it was Cruz that necessitated the rematch. I I just thought that it was strange to go in that direction. That's all. But you are right. Both of them at the end looked better than they did going in, at least marginally, you know, if anything. Now, we did have another title match. The SmackDown tag team titles were on the line. The Street Profits defending against the team I'm calling the Dirty Dogs because it's logoed on their gear with their faces. They have matching gear now. They are the Dirty Dogs, but somehow... Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode, they finally create a tag team name. It's not used on graphics. Commentary refuses to use it during the match. I just, I don't get it. Like, it's like when the bar was created, it took them, it feels like like two or three weeks, maybe a month to start calling them the bar and then start doing so consistently. These guys are the dirty dogs. They're a tag team now. Call them that, especially now, which we'll talk about right in in a second. Uh, Montez Ford sold his injured leg from last week. As the dogs double-teamed Angelo Dawkins, Ford got the hot tag but didn't do any running because of the leg. He sold it really well, actually. He did hit a discus lariat but got caught with a pretty sick X-Factor off the top rope as he was going for the frog splash. 
Ziggler took out Ford's leg again, and Rude hit a fisherman's suplex bridge for a long two count. The dogs then hit a spinebuster zigzag combo on Ford to win the titles. They knocked the profits out of the ring afterwards. So Ford sold extremely well, as I said. He looked really good in defeat. This is the title change I wanted and called for last week. But in this moment, and maybe it's because there weren't fans, it did feel a bit anticlimactic, especially because they didn't advertise the match on Monday night and push it all week. But at least this is fresh with new champions. It gives the division a new direction. The Profits held the titles for nearly 10 months. You could argue that maybe this should have happened around the time of the brand split as opposed to now. I would accept that. But I think the booking was good. I felt the finish was kind of just, oh, okay, there's new champions. And for a team, a popular team in the Street Profits losing the titles, I didn't feel the gravity of that defeat. Right. I think that's the biggest knock is that ending a 10-month reign as champions deserved a deserved to be portrayed as a big, big moment. Maybe, maybe, you know, the main event of a SmackDown in, in, in another week, you know, or, or something mm-hmm. else. But um but overall Or the op- or even the opening match to sure, some or, yeah, or the yeah. opening match. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I, I think it was it, it, this was needed though. We we'd picked the Dirty Dogs to win the last paper at TLC. You know, it just it, it need the, the tag division needs new champs. Just needs to get freshened up, get new people in there, and doing different things. Yes, hundred percent with you on Dirty Dogs. Just that's the name. E- either it's not the name and you give them a name, or that's the name. Exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. You have to pick one or the other, right? Yeah, this, this this two names as the tag team champs just it just devalues everything about tag teams when you do that. Just give them a name. Let them use their logos that they have, whatever. Just go with it. Yeah, it, it's okay if it takes you a little bit to come up with the right name to get it cleared, you know, if if you're trying to register it for a trademark. I get it. Like sometimes the booking has to come first, and if it takes a little bit that's fine. But once you have the damn logo and the matching tights, change the Titantron, maybe merge the themes or come up with a different theme and call them that name on commentary. Like you have to figure out something. Don't just half-ass it. And it feels like they're kind of half-assing it. But again, I'm very glad that they're champions. I think Ziggler and Rude two weeks ago, for the first time I said this on the show, really looked like a tag team for the first time. And they did again this week. So I am now fully believing them as a strong tag team and as the tag team champions. It was the right time for them to get the titles. Moving back to Raw, let's go over and talk about the women. And the truth is, I think we only have like, I think there were two women's matches total. One on Raw. No, sorry, two on Raw. I think there were none on SmackDown. And... I don't exactly know why they're booking the women's division the way they are, but we'll talk about it now and maybe we'll recap it before we move on. We had Charlotte Flair versus Lacey Evans as a scheduled match. Charlotte cut a promo about Lacey being classless and how it would be nice if people stopped asking her about Ric Flair when she's the one who's an active wrestler. It was strange to see these two wrestle uh, given their similar look and everyone jokes that, you know, Lacey Evans is like a low rent Charlotte for Vince McMahon. But you kind of saw it in this match. Like Charlotte is clearly the better wrestler. And I thought she shined in a major way wrestling-wise, work rate-wise, 
during this match. She had an awesome spot using her legs to slam Evans over and over. Suddenly, Ric Flair shows up mid-match and Lacey did his strut. Charlotte then hit natural selection, but Flair put Evans' leg on the rope to break the count and then held his daughter's foot so Evans could fall on top of her for a surprise one, two, three. Evans said afterward that they were going to go to a hotel. So it looks like Space Mountain is up and running during the pandemic. Uh, this had shades of, and I don't know if you'll get this reference if you were watching during the time, this had shades of Al Wilson and Don Marie yes. for me. I didn't love it, but I also didn't hate it. Maybe Rick can rub off on Lacey Evans somehow and kind Not, of yeah, yeah, help crazy, her develop her character. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I was kind of ultimately, I guess, indifferent to the entire thing because didn't love it, didn't hate it, but like, okay, you know, I'm kind of interested to see at least see what they do here. I am in agreement with a lot of people that, man, we really don't need another Ric Flair, Charlotte Flair angle. But I also don't hate seeing Rick on TV. He's healthier than he's been in a long time. And he does kind of raise the rent. You know, it's always cool to hear his music and see him. And he's been much better uh, over the last year that we've seen him. Really, since that Randy Orton storyline, Ric Flair has been a little bit rejuvenated. So that's great. Now, I have other stuff to talk about, but let's pause there so that way you can get in. You know, do you kind of feel the same way? Like, don't love, don't hate, acceptable, curious, or did you like, lean in a direction? Yeah, I, I, it's different. And, and Ric Flair can make a lot of things work. So, you know, you, you know, we, we weren't sure last week if Rick had, you know, tripped Charlotte on accident. I was convinced that, his horniness had taken over in the moment. And that kind of may have been the case. You know, he's upset that Char he didn't, that Charlie didn't want him around. I knew he'd be on raw because he cut a promo before the national championship football game saying he was picking Alabama and I could tell raw was in the background. So I knew he was going to be there. Um, uh, so, you know, it's different. It's weird that this is happening as Charlotte is a tag team champion again, but, you know, it's it's a different kind of feud. And obviously, we don't want them to go down the Tory Wilson, Al Wilson road. It's a little weird, you know, no doubt. But I don't know. I'm going to give it a chance. Totally fair. So I want to do like a little bit longer extended women's segment here. So we'll, you'll, you guys will see how this all wraps together. We had Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler uh, defeat Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke in a tag team match. The faces got some offense, but really not much. Brooke saved Rose from being pinned after a Samoan drop, but then Baszler blind tagged herself and locked in the Kirafuda clutch on Rose for the tap out. Jax was bothered by it. So this was the same finish booking as Keith Lee and Sheamus in their tag team match. And they just easily dispatched the women's tag team across both brands that it looked like they were building into title challengers. Like it was pretty clear that Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke were going to be the team to take the titles, or we thought at least, were going to take the titles off Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Then they got hurt and things happened. So they changed it. So now they're just having Jax and Baszler still be a team when they don't need to be, beat the only other really established women's tag team on the brand pretty easily. I thought it was a total waste and a loser of a segment. Yeah, it was weird. I didn't really get it. 
it was it was also at that time where you knew the main event was coming up and, and all you could think about was, oh, we're going to have a really short Triple H Randy Orton segment to end. And I don't really know where it's going. So the women's tag situation seems to change by the week. I, you know, we've got a tag team champ dealing with the Ric Flair stuff and you've got this happening. I I don't really know. It's weird. It's super strange. And then I'll also say that on SmackDown, Carmella cut a confident promo saying Sasha Banks can't touch her when it comes to talent. Uh, this was the one of the best presentations of Carmella's new character that we've seen, but we didn't get Sasha Banks on the show, even though apparently she was available, just like Asuka was available on Raw. So that's kind of where I want to kind of turn this together. The women's booking has been absolutely terrible over the last you know couple of months at least. And this happens every year, like generally around this time, they don't know what the hell they're doing with the women until the Royal Rumble. Like it, it goes from like October, I think through like the end of January. Now exceptions can be made. There was a great, a couple of years ago, TLC match um, ahead of that Ronda Rousey and, and, you know, Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch match at WrestleMania. I like how I named that match and named Becky third when she was the most important person in the entire thing. But there was that great TLC match. I think it was like Becky, Charlotte, and Asuka. So sometimes it's booked well, but they go through these lulls is my point of a couple months a year where they just do not know what to do. But right now, just if you thought about SmackDown and Raw this week, the SmackDown Women's Championship was irrelevant. The Raw Women's Championship was irrelevant. And the Women's Tag Team Championship was irrelevant. It is insane the way they're booking. They have Charlotte Flair fighting Lacey Evans in a feud after she just won the Women's Tag Team Championship. And she has, and that's happening while her partner, the Raw Women's Champion, who's available, isn't even on the show. If you're going to have Charlotte feud with Lacey, why wouldn't you at least have Asuka feud with Peyton? That way you can get a Raw Women's Championship match at the Royal Rumble. You can give Peyton some shine, even though she would lose that match. And it makes sense because even though Evans and Peyton are kind of shaky together as a tag team, they're at least split up. So now you have a reason why the Women's Tag Team Championship is not being defended. Right now, you don't have the Women's Tag Team Championship being defended or the Raw Women's Championship being defended because neither of them have challengers. SmackDown, at least we have... Sasha Banks, she has a challenger in Carmella, but the riot squad over there is wasting away doing nothing when they should be challenging or holding the women's tag team championships. So there's all of these great women, all this great stuff they can do, and none of it's happening. And I just don't understand how you book the women this poorly, especially when you have one of two of those women, four horsemen, the ones that WWE likes to book as champions, meaning Charlotte, half of the women's tag team, and Sasha Banks, the SmackDown women's champion. And then your fifth horse woman, for lack of a better term, Asuka, is the Raw women's champion. But you can't book any of them against any real competition. I just I just don't get it, man. Yeah, I, I think you summed it all up pretty well. It's weird. You know, there used to be the only women's storylines going on were title matches. Now there's a lot of stories going on that aren't title matches and the champions aren't in feuds. And it's just weird. I guess like, I don't, you, you, between, I think you summed it up pretty well. Between the SmackDown Women's Championship, the Raw Women's Championship, the Women's Tag Team Championship, the United States Championship, those titles 
are all important because they're titles and they're just like, not defended. <laughs> it's like, I know we saw the U S this week. I get it. I, I, I just don't know what they're doing. Booking is not this hard. WWE makes the booking so much more difficult than it needs to be. It's just a constant theme. I know maybe I'm negative on this show. You guys normally know recently I've been positive, but I'm just so uh, with the women. Like it's, it's one of the, it, the women got WWE largely through the opening part of the pandemic. And now they're just forgotten about, at least in my eyes as a viewer. I think it's unacceptable. Uh, all right, well, let's wrap up here. AJ Styles defeated Drew Gulak. Adam Pierce told Gulak he can't just enter the Royal Rumble. And AJ Styles explained it's because he hadn't earned it. So they set up a match on the spot with a spot in the Royal Rumble on the line. Gulak got surprised outside by Amos and Styles hit the phenomenal forearm for the easy win. This was probably going to be an ongoing storyline, I guess, for the next three weeks with Gulak eventually getting in either by rolling up Styles or beating someone else. I don't have a problem with it. You need things for people to do. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people in the Royal Rumble. So you kind of, a storyline like this, they do one of these almost every year. I'm fine with it. Yeah, no, I think it's fine. And, and Gulak, you know, he's gotten some opportunities here and there with Dan O'Brien. Now he's in here with AJ Styles and you know he can go. So, you know, it'll be a, hopefully a fun thing to follow for a few weeks. Yeah, I'd love if he won his spot in the Rumble by beating AJ Styles after like a 15 minute match. Yeah. Like just give them like 12 to 15 minutes, let Gulak do really well. And if you want him to roll up, that's okay. You know, you have to remind, you're going to have to remind me I say that's okay because I probably will forget. Uh, that'll be okay, but allow these guys to at least wrestle. Let Drew Gulak show what he can do. AJ Styles is a great foil for that to happen. We also got T Bar against Xavier Woods. So Woods came out by himself without Kofi Kingston because apparently Kofi has a broken or injured jaw. So New Day has just collapsed. We, talk, we talked about this a few weeks ago. It felt like a shell of itself. Now Kofi's out and Xavier's by himself. Maybe just give this dude a couple months off. I know he was injured for a while and already had like, like eight, nine months off or six months, whatever it was. Maybe give him some time until Kofi comes back. Because, I mean, I like Xavier on his own. I do. But the New Day gimmick, him just doing that gimmick on his own with no one else, that's really rough. Uh, these guys are two really good wrestlers here. And the match was pretty decent. It just never felt like it mattered. We never got a reason for why they were wrestling. Woods hit a really sick missile dropkick, throwing T-Bar out of the entire ring. He then got distracted by retribution. And T-Bar, kayfabe, dislocated his shoulder with the top rope before hitting eyes wide shut, the former feast your eyes, for the win. I think it's good, actually, that retribution is starting to get wins but they're not allowing Mustafa Ali to capitalize on those wins with TV promos. So it's like great T-Bar one, but it's meaningless. Yeah, I mean, I guess. And, and with Xavier, I mean, I honestly, I think there's more of an opportunity with him as a singles compared to that tag team situation that we weren't really in love with. If you give him a different music and, and shift him away from the New Day stuff, I actually think, maybe he can branch out as a singles guy because we've been Absolutely. wanting them to get away from the New Day. So probably won't happen, but we'll see. We got another double match segment here with Jackson Riker defeating Jeff Hardy and Jeff Hardy defeating Elias. Let me just go ahead and, and start this off for you. Zero point zero. Elias distracted Hardy after a few seconds and Riker, wait for it, rolled him up for the win. This was actually... Better, I guess, than Riker beating him clean. But it was the second distraction finish in 10 minutes to start the show. Hardy called out Elias for being a coward. So they had a match. 
Elias hit a spinning neck breaker. Hardy hit the swanton bomb and got the win. This just didn't do any favors for anyone. It felt like filler. And you have Jeff Hardy losing to Jackson Riker just a couple months after he lost to Laura Sullivan. It's not good stuff. Now, just so everyone knows who's listening, Chris did have to bounce for the final few minutes of the show. Only a couple minutes left anyway. I'm going to wrap up everything else that happened. Sonya Deville on SmackDown met up with Adam Pearce, and he said they're working together, but they didn't get into specifics. Deville talked about Mandy Rose beating her and then moving to Raw and getting a new tag team partner as if she was jealous. And then later on, DeVille and Pierce were talking strategy. So it seems like she's in this WWE official type of role. And the question is why? And what are they going to transition her to? Is it because she's able to be back on TV now after having time off, but she's not, not that she's not, not that she's not in shape, but she has ring rust maybe. So she's not ready to get into wrestling. Are they maybe saving her to be Sasha Banks' next challenger after the Carmella feud ends? I don't really know. It's great to see Sonya back on TV. And as we've talked about, with SmackDown, we kind of trust that it's going to be at least okay, if not good to great. So we'll see what happens with Sonya Deville. And then we had, staying with the women, Billy Kay started crying when the Riot Squad said that they didn't need her on their team. Liv Morgan eventually caved and Billy got all excited. She is just such a damn good character actor. I love it. She's crushing it on SmackDown, working as a solo. So big ups to Billy Kay. And we saw Bianca Belair and Bailey both enter the Women's Royal Rumble on the show. So that match is starting to fill out as well. So ultimately, folks, it's not difficult to understand my opinion on these two shows. SmackDown, once again, maybe it didn't crush it, but it was a damn good show. Totally worth two hours of my time sitting and watching it. Raw, on the other hand, and, and look, maybe it's come out because I was coming out of the national championship. I just watched four and a half hours of football. Then I had to watch three hours of mediocre wrestling on top of it. I just thought it was a pretty pitifully booked show. And WWE really needs to step its game up on Raw, especially coming out of Royal Rumble. Let's use Royal Rumble as a turning point. Let's have Drew McIntyre retain over Goldberg. Let's set everything else in the right direction. Let's give your women's champions some legitimate storylines. Take one of the titles off someone. That way more people are able to operate. And let's start moving in a positive direction on Raw because right now WWE is very, very one-sided. So that is it for today's show, breaking down everything from SmackDown and Raw. We are still three weeks out to the Royal Rumble, so there's going to be plenty for us to break down. Over the next few weeks, we will, of course, have our Ultimate Royal Rumble preview the week before that pay-per-view. Do not forget to join us again on Thursday as the Silver King breaks down everything from NXT and AEW. It's Thursday, so you know what that means. It will be another great episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast and head on over to Apple Podcasts for a five-star rating and review to please let us know and let others know how much you love the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So with that, the Silver King is saying goodbye. That means there's one more person left to see off.
And I thank you all for listening. See you on Thursday. Bye for now.